Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. We've done this a bunch of times, haven't we, Alistair? We have. I've come to really enjoy our chats now. It's great. I feel like we're old friends that we've only ever met on Zoom. (laughs) And there's so many more books. So my hope is that this continues to dot the landscape of my life because I love these conversations. You're an English adventurer and author who finds it weird to write about himself in third person. (laughs) This is great. This is from your book, The Doorstep Mile, Live More Adventurously Every Day, one of many fantastic books and all of these accomplishments. But then you have this amazing ability to break it down for the everyday person to fit more adventure into their life. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been um, for years and years now. I've been doing big adventures and then small adventures and increasingly trying to use my small micro adventures to encourage people to get outside and have small local adventures. So when I heard about a thousand hours outside, I was like, boom, I need to get in touch here. So I sent you an email and uh, we've been chatting since then. That's been fantastic. And your podcasts have been the favorites. People write in about them all the time. In fact, I had an all call for people if they wanted to join the podcast and talk about things that they learned from the podcast and maybe lifestyle choices that they made. And so many people wrote in about you and how influential you were in their lives. And so I'm so thrilled to have you back. Really, truly, thank you for being here. I love seeing your shed. Yes, well, yeah, we've both got good sheds, haven't we? Um, (laughs) I've noticed from the two times I've been uh, on your podcast that your audience is the the most cheerful and engaged of all the podcast audiences I do. I get lots of people commenting on my feed having been on your thing. So that's really great. And yeah. Oh, I'm sure they'll feel thrilled to hear that. Those are nice compliments, cheerful and engaged. So we are heading into a new year and John Acuff talks about this. He's a business guy, but he talks about how life gives us these opportunities to make changes. So he's real big on the first day of the month, the new year. And I know New Year's resolutions can be sort of cliche and cheesy, but sometimes you really can change your life. And for people that are joining in on 1000 Hours Outside, a lot of times you can join anytime, but a lot of times people join in in January and they have this unwritten book. It's really a neat thing. You know, people are posting their chart or they're going to join in. And I always think they have no idea what's coming. And it's really exciting. And so your book, The Doorstep Mile, is such a perfect kickoff to the year. Absolutely perfect. Because it's about where we get stuck. And so often we get stuck. So I'd love to start with your story, which is a very inspiring story that you had a job and you had a good job and you were doing fine at your job and you quit your job, which is so brave and so out of the box. Can we start there? Can you tell us about quitting your job? <laughs> well, it's. Um, I don't think it's particularly brave, to be honest, given that compared to most people doing most things in life. But I'll, I'll, I'll accept the compliments and go with it for the for, for now. So, but essentially, I, um, I was a teacher. I was very happy being a teacher, and I think if I'd stayed being a teacher, I'd have had a very, very happy life being a teacher. But I was um, 24, and I suddenly had this realization that if I stayed teaching at this school, a high school just near Oxford in England, teaching biology, that I could well be Mr. Humphreys, the biology teacher, for the next 40 years. And there's lots of good things to be said of that, of course. But at the time, it kind of filled me with terror. The thought that, wow, I could be doing the same thing for 40 years. Not that there's anything uh, wrong with being a teacher. But for me, more is the prospect of doing the same thing for mm-hmm. so long. And I thought to myself, life is only ever going to get 
more complicated. I don't, don't think there's yeah. ever a time in life when you have enough money to make the changes you want, enough time to make the changes you want, enough freedom to make the changes you want, or at least you don't have those things until you are old and your hair's grey and your knees hurt. So right. there's never a perfect time to do it. So I just tried to imagine that I was a really old man looking back on my life and what wow. advice would old me give me in that instance. I think people quite often say, what advice would you give to your younger self? That's quite mm -hmm. a common question, but I much prefer to think what advice would the old me suggest? And I was pretty sure that the old me would say, go on, a day, take the chance, go for it, go on an adventure. What's the worst that can happen? And realistically for me, the worst thing that could have happened would have been that I would go off on an adventure, realize that I hated it. And actually I was quite happy being a teacher. Then I'd come back and I'd be a teacher again. And that would be extra good because I'd have got all this doubt out of my system and I could just settle down and be happy. So in that case, there was nothing to lose. So therefore I should quit my job, get on my bicycle and go and try to cycle around the world. And that's what I did. Wow. Wow. Did you think you would end up going back to teaching or did you have no idea? I, I assumed so. I assumed that. Wow, you did. You thought yeah. it's going to be one, my one last hurrah and I'm going to go back. Yeah, get it out of my system because I was completely happy. I had a good life. I was enjoying right. myself. Um, you earn not great money, but enough money. You have good holidays. I was, I was entirely happy with my life, but I just felt I should explore what other options are out there. There might wow. be even more than this. So yeah, I kind of assumed I'd go off, have a big adventure, get it out of my system, grow up a bit <laughs> and then come back to real life. Because I think whatever job you do in life, you're going to do it better if you've traveled the world and experienced other the cultures and had a bit of a struggle yeah. and done some hard things that's going to help with everything so yeah I, I kind of assumed that I would go be a teacher and then when I was actually cycling around the world I still assumed that I would be a teacher but then I assumed I would teach in foreign countries so as I was riding around the world I was sort of like thinking oh maybe I should maybe I'll come back to this country to teach in so I was still thinking yeah. that for quite a long time I had this half daydream of being a writer but that's just a silly daydream it wasn't anything realistic but yeah so I always thought I'd go back to teaching wow but you did it. And what's really neat is that in so many ways, you are still teaching just in a completely different capacity. You're teaching through your books to children. And someone commented, I think on the last podcast that we did together, someone commented that you had come to their school. Yes. I couldn't even believe it. So tell us about how that you cycle down around the world and you stopped at schools around the world, correct? Yeah, because I was a trained teacher, I was kind of used to talking to kids and, but I didn't really have the idea. It was when I got, so I cycled from England all the way across Europe to Istanbul, to Turkey. And there I stayed with a family. I got invited to stay with so many families around the world. And this family, they said to me, uh, would you mind going to give a talk at our kids' school? tomorrow and I was like sure you're giving me a free bed for the night I've just eaten your entire refrigerator of course I'll go and uh, talk to your kids so I gave a talk uh, and I enjoyed it and the kids enjoyed it and they got said do a few more and then they sent me to and then some teachers said go talk to my other friends at another school and that got me the idea of hey I could do this all the way around the world um I was wow. raising money on that adventure for a children's charity anyway so I'd turn up at these schools do the talk and then hopefully they'd give a donation to the charity and then often they also gave me free food which 
which is all you really care about when you're cycling around the world. So I ended up doing 300 talks in schools all around the world, which became an amazing addition to the experience of cycling around the world, because suddenly I was meeting kids and families and teachers from all these different communities around the world. And that one of the problems with being an adventurer on your own cycling around the world is you're always a stranger. And so this Mm. was a way to get into communities. You get invited into the school and then someone invites you to their house for dinner or someone takes you to show you around town. So it's a wonderful thing for me as well. And also as a teacher, it really helped me get much better at communicating my story and trying to tell adventures in a interesting, succinct way. Because if when you do that 300 times, you realize which bits of your story are boring and which ones are interesting. Oh, sure. Uh, And you polish it. What a case study for all of your books that you've written. That's amazing. The book I wrote called The Boy Who Bite the World, which is a kid's version of me cycling around the world. Large Mm -hmm. parts of that are pretty much word for word. The talk that I polished by doing it 300 times in four years. And and to go back to your question, uh, when I was in the US, I cycled up the West Coast and near Seattle, I went to high school. To be honest, I don't remember it because I went to so many. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there was a message on uh, social media from one of your listeners like, hey, I heard you when you were a scruffy young 20 something with dreadlocks. And yeah, that was what I really made me happy that they still remembered (laughs) that. neat. I thought that was so neat. Yeah. Yeah. And what a thing. People should check those books out because who else has had the opportunity to polish their book for kids 300 times, The Boy Who Biked the World. It's a trilogy. And people are having these book clubs with nature groups. And there was a really cool one someone posted just recently where they had The Boy Who Biked the World party and they had banana sandwiches. And it was really a great setup, a learning thing. They had, I think, a space for every country or continent. Maybe it was every continent and the kids were learning there and it was really a neat thing. So that's awesome. I mean, it's such a full circle thing. Can I tell you one more story of uh, on a similar vein that I really yeah. loved from my experience? So that very first school I went to in Istanbul, I talked to these kids, then I got my bike and I set off cycling. And to be honest, I didn't really think much of it. Four years later, so it took me four years to cycle around the world. And eventually I cycled back through Istanbul on my way wow. back to England. And I went back to visit this family who I'd stayed with four years earlier. And their kids had grown up and that was really cool. And they said, will you come to the school? And I'm like, sure, this is my first school I went to. And I went and I uh, did this talk and uh, this big, tall teenage kid came up to him at the end. And he's like, hey, that was a fantastic talk. You know what? Four years ago, when I was a little kid at this school, some guy came to us at our school to talk about cycling around the world. I always wondered what happened to him. Do you know? And I'd say, it was me. I'm back four years later. It was really lovely. <laughs> He did. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> you probably hadn't changed that much. He had probably changed a lot in four years. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. I love that story. Well, the doorstep mile is. Well, you could tell us what the concept is, but I thought it was really interesting that there was this Norwegian word, which I'm not going to even attempt to say. Maybe you can. This Norwegian word that means sort of something like the doorstep mile. So can you explain to us what that is and why it's so important in our lives? Okay. So the word, in I'll, I'll be the one that te- does the bad accent then to save <laughs> you from it. It's a Norwegian word, dorstokmila, which translates into English as doorstep mile. Now, the background to this is that I've been going on 
on expeditions now for quite a lot of years. So I cycle around the world, then I walked across India, I rode across the Atlantic, uh, I walked through the empty quarter desert in uh, the Middle East, and a bunch of big stuff like that. And what I noticed was that I loved having the ideas for adventures. I'd get really excited, like, oh, this is a great idea. It was really fun thinking of the idea. But then when it actually came to doing it, to actually starting and setting off, I'd be suddenly find myself so full of fear and I didn't want to go and it was scary and I'd be really lonely and I at the start of trips I was always crying and feeling sad and I used to beat myself up about this like you're meant to be an adventure guy why are you being so pathetic about all this and then eventually I'd just force myself to start and I'd settle down the road and I'd be like woohoo this is fantastic I'm so glad I'm doing this adventure but I found it really hard to start things Mm -hmm. and then I learned this phrase um doorstep mile so in Norway cold snowy dark wintry sort of place and imagine you're in your log cabin in the woods and it's with your nice log burner and it's a gale and storm outside and the idea of stepping out of your nice warm house to go walk off through the snow in the forest on a journey is really hard that's a horrible thought to step out so they say that the doorstep mile the first step across the doorstep is the longest mile of any journey and there are lots of similar sorts of uh, expressions along that kind of line but it really hit home with me this idea that yes starting things is really hard and that Mm -hmm. first step over your front door is the hardest part of a trip and I'm not alone in finding that hard I'm no more lazy and procrastinating than anybody else and I found that really comforting that oh there's a phrase for this so all I've got to do now is consciously deal with the doorstep mile and I'll be away there's loads of applications for example I uh, do quite a lot of running just to stay fit and healthy and I I always love getting home from a run I love feeling oh this is great I feel really good afterwards but I don't like starting the run I'd much rather lie on the sofa eating cake uh, especially when it's cold and dark and rainy like it is in England in the winter so I now have this rule to myself which is I don't have to go for a long run at all all I have to do is put on my trainers and run to the lamp post at the end of the street 50 yards that's all I have to do after that I'm allowed home to go and eat cake all night but of course by the time I've put on my trainers and run to the lamp post you've done it then and then I carry on and I enjoy it so yeah yeah, the doorstep mile is really helpful for me and everything just to do that one tiny little thing today don't worry about everything else just do that one thing today yeah and there's so many applications and for parents that are listening that have young children that have teenagers it is so hard to get them out the door this is the thing but then you are always so glad that you did it in retrospect so I love that you said this is a common enough hurdle to have a name so we're not we're not lazy we're not cowards we're just common people and it is hard to get that momentum that energy moving forward but once we're moving forward that's why you talk about these small steps and that they give more momentum and then you talked about having I actually thought this would be the coolest book title. You talk about making plans that will make you retroactively happy. Well, okay. You called it, I thought this was such an amazing phrase. It was my favorite phrase in the book, the pursuit of retroactive pleasures. That's a great phrase because in the moment, sometimes you are completely miserable and that whether you're on a massive adventure, you were talking about that from the context of rowing through the ocean. So I'd love for people to hear about that. And you could talk about the girl who rode the ocean to the book that came out of that. But I've had a ton of experiences, just normal every day. Everyone's crying. Everyone's cold. Everyone's complaining. And then you get back and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm still glad we went. And you t- <laughs> it's a retroactive 
pleasure. I've never heard anybody combine those two words, and I think it's brilliant. So can you tell us about rowing with Simon and Steve? <laughs> what a story. I need to include Marin as well. He was the captain of the boat. Can't forget him. Mm-hmm. I will talk about that, but I'll, I'll also give you a couple of other useful phrases, I think, because, well, first of all, the, for you, what you, the thousand hours outside project, the doorstep mile is literally the whole issue, isn't it? It's getting it across is. the front door and out. And of course, every kid, my kids, they'd much rather just stay on their screens and you dragging them outside is so hard. And then five minutes later, they're happy and climbing trees. So yeah. Right. It's just like your story, putting on your trainers yeah. and going the 50 yards and then the whole thing changes sometimes then you're having to drag them back in yeah 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 yeah. so then another thing that i find helpful is that there are three types of fun and this is good to think about when you're out on adventures with your kids there is a type one fun so type one fun is stuff that's just really fun it's drinking hot chocolate in the sunshine or playing on the beach on a sunny day type one fun Mm -hmm. it's fun you're having fun right now type two fun is when you're out in the woods and it's really cold and winds blowing and you're desperate to get home and to be honest everyone's kind of miserable as you were just describing but then you get home you warm up you have your hot chocolate and then the whole family's like oh that was great so Mm -hmm. type two fun is what you should be going for an adventure it's not really fun at the time but it's really fun afterwards great memories Type three fun is not fun at the time, is not fun later on, and it's never, ever fun. So you want to avoid (laughs) type three fun. That's climbing expeditions that are too dangerous and too near death. So stay away from type three fun, but embrace type two. Type two fun is definitely what rowing across the Atlantic Ocean was. There were four of us in a small rowing boat um, and two people rowed at a time, two people rested for a time. Two hours of rowing, two hours of resting, two hours of rowing, two hours of resting, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it was an exercise in insane sleep. You only ever sleep for two hours at a time? Yeah, which is agony and awful and unbelievable for anyone except anyone who's ever been parent to a baby. (laughs) So it's kind of like being parent to a baby. You're totally and utterly exhausted. You think this will never end. Definite type two fun. But you have the additional thing of it being in the middle of an ocean in the dark and you're rowing in giant waves and you're vomiting and your buttocks are really sore. So there's lots of there's a lot of type two fun involved. It's only really after an experience like that that I look back and I feel so grateful for that total immersion in nature 3000 miles of empty nature not seeing any buildings no no nothing like that just emptiness and wilderness and being away from no tvs for 3000 miles the most incredible stars and shooting stars and sunrises over the ocean and um, phosphorescence in the waves and whales and dolphins the sheer immersion in nature was the really wonderful side plus i guess the share also the shared experience of trusting these other people so some of my trips have been solo but this one to be literally putting your life in their hands and and to know that they're putting their life in your hands that forges strong and powerful relationships so yeah it was pretty spectacular if painful experience Turn that into a book now right. for children called uh, The Girl Who Rode the Ocean. Yeah, which is R-O-W-E-D. A fantastic book. <laughs> yes. just came out earlier this year. We love that one too. We love your whole line of children's books. And then you had talked in this book, The Doorstep Mile, about how you had gotten back together with your rowing mates and just had the grandest time reminiscing. So that was a, it's a retroactive pleasure. This is an interesting thing to think about that sometimes we do things for the sake of being down the road and looking back. I mean, what if we have nothing to look back on? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of things, stupid things that we do in life are for the retrospective side of it, aren't they? I mean, for Mm -hmm. anyone entering their first ever one mile run or five mile run or 10 mile run or marathon or whatever it is, that's not fun at the time. The training's not fun. It's hard work, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing it for instant fun. It's the knowledge deep down that later on, I will be proud of this. And later Mm -hmm. on, this will have made me in some ways a better person. That's why we go through these sorts of things, isn't it? And it's the same, same for dragging your kids out. Well, I think but I think a lot of people don't, though. And I think a lot of times I choose not to. I mean, I think that it's not really front of mind to think, what does my life look looking back on it? Like you just said, what would you tell your younger self? But no one is really stepping forward and thinking, well, you talked about this place where you could send letters to yourself. It was called future, future me. Okay, this is the idea of backcasting. I never heard that term either. Tell us what that means. So uh, remind me of the website address. I don't, um, okay, the uh, website address is futureme.org. And they have said they have sent 20 million letters in 20 years. You had such great verbiage here. Write a letter from future you to current you. What would they plead with you to change? And then you had this great phrase. You, <laughs> you said, 50 years from now, how many <laughs> urgent chores... <laughs> <laughs> what I remember. <laughs> I think that's really funny. It's a really funny combination of words. Urgent chores. <laughs> well, well, at the time, I mean, today we think it is urgent that we have to go and clean the it's kitchen, true. don't we? It but, is true, yeah. But the, the, the you five years down the line will be rolling their eyes saying, please leave those dishes, go right. climb the Go climb that tree with your child because in five years, your kid's going to be a teenager and they're not going to want to talk to you. So please leave the kitchen dirty (laughs) and go climb the tree. (laughs) That's the pessimistic. You talk in the book about struggling with pessimism and I'm like, well, he seems so happy-go-lucky. But but there it was. In five years, they're not going to want to talk to you. Right, right. (laughs) Well, hopefully though, in 10 years, they will again want to talk to (laughs) me. But I'm I'm bracing myself for five years of grumpy silence. I think that's (laughs) sensible, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. they're definitely interesting years. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. 
Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. But I think that idea of backcasting, that's kind of what we're talking about. I don't think that's a common thing that people do. But yeah, I mean, if the the you, it's a, I find it a really powerful thing. I mean, I, okay. I I think I do put quite a lot of pressure on my own life because I spend a lot of time thinking how long it is till I'm going to be dead. I, I actually have the, I have the, uh, I have the I did projected. It. I, did, I did the death calculator. Uh, okay. My, okay, mine came out pretty good despite that I don't have the best BMI. What was interesting about that death calculator which I had never heard of, but Death I went deathclock.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Death okay. Was that I found, I put in a couple different things. It was interesting. It's just for fun, I'm assuming, but I tried some different combinations. I think it's as much fun as calculating your death could ever be, but yeah, it's fairly <laughs> approximate. Essentially what it basically does is it judges you according to your age your BMI and your gender and it gives an approximate it's not it's not a guaranteed thing well but there was another part and that was so interesting it was smoker non-smoker but the part that was super interesting was basically like your outlook on life so it gave four choices it gave pessimistic optimistic sadistic (laughs) but then it just said you're already dead i I picked that one just to see what would happen and then normal (laughs) those were the four choices and there was a huge difference between pessimistic and optimistic a huge jump it was like decades so i thought that was an interesting thing it made me be more intentional about being optimistic that's for sure yeah but i mean so it gives you an approximate guess for your death and of course there's so many factors involved in in that right uh, but but what i find useful of it is it gives you a rough death date for someone roughly like me which i don't know is what probably 75 ish so i've got that date in my google calendar now because geez i've if you're talking about the deadline to wow. get stuff done in your life then that is the deadline isn't it so there's so many things that i want to get done in my <laughs> life it on your google calendar yeah <laughs> So then if people say to me, are you free? Are you free for lunch in the year 2085? I look, I go, uh, no, sorry, I'll be dead. <laughs> That's really, well, because you write in the... <laughs> You write in here that you only have something like 2,000 Mondays left. So that's fairly accurate, maybe. Well, I mean, yeah, if you think you've got 2,000, let's say Saturdays, because we like Saturdays, 2,000 mm-hmm. Saturdays left. Do I really want to spend this Saturday cleaning dishes? No, I want to go climb the trees with my kids. So I think it's it's that side of things. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Hence, the, sort of the idea of thinking in years time, I don't want to look back and regret not having done X, Y, and Z, which yes. I suppose goes back to me quitting a nice teaching job to have a try at something else. Right. 
You have some really cool phrases about that. The, the sentence, the risk of getting old, or just a phrase, the risk of getting old and wondering what might have been. I thought that was an interesting way to put it because it seems like what you're doing is risky. It's risky to quit your job. It's risky to cycle around the world. It's risky to stand up and speak in front of people. All of it's risky. It's risky to write a book. It's risky to put out a YouTube video. It's all risky. But then you're talking about this other risk, which is having an empty life. That's risky too. And getting to the end and not in the back casting, there's nothing there. Yeah. And I think it's, it's it's very easy in the right now to choose the what seems now as the easier risk, the let's not risk that going wrong. But in the long run, so looking back, it's so much better to do that. I think it's why I really love just trying new stuff, like being a beginner, trying new yeah. sorts of things, daring myself to change path, to change tack. I, I try when, when I feel things are going really well in my life or career, I try to dare myself, not just to keep going, but to think things are going great. I'd better change something <laughs> and then try and sort of change direction and things. Cause yeah. you, uh, quite often you can come back if you want to. I never seem to, cause I, once I've done that change of direction, I enjoy it and I'm off again. So yeah, I think it's good to be a beginner and enthusiastic. Oh, I love that. Yes. You can come back. I think that's such an encouraging thing. People ask a lot because we home educate here. So people often ask about that. They're afraid to get started. And I always say, you're not signing your life away. You can try it for six months. But then people say, you learn to love these new things. And to have that knowledge so that you can come back is very mm, comforting. And then you talk in the book about the word amateur, which I've always thought amateur is, it means you're just not good at something, which maybe has some partial truth to it, but you talk about where the word amateur comes from and that actually that's not really what it's meant to mean. And I loved that part. Can you tell us what amateur is meant to mean? Amateur comes from the Latin word meaning to love uh, because it's Mm. something you're doing because you love it. And so now I really embrace the idea of being an enthusiastic amateur Um, and particularly with the sort of creative type stuff that I do now I find there's photography I love 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 photography I really enjoy going out with my camera and occasionally I think oh I should just become a wedding photographer then I could take photos all the time but the risk then of making it a professional thing is then suddenly I've got to earn $500 every weekend from taking photographs. And then where's the love gone now from that? So yeah, there's a risk of that, but I think doing anything as an amateur is a really good thing. And to embrace not being very good at something. I think so often we think, Oh, I should only do this thing. If I'm going to be absolutely brilliant at it. I'm a thousand hours outside. Some people might think, Oh, I can't possibly do that because I'll only manage 500 and that would be a failure. Is 500 hours outside of failure? Of course not. It's 500 more than you would have done otherwise. So yeah, embracing doing stuff for the love of it, being Mm -hmm. enthusiastic and being really bad at stuff, but still doing it anyway. I think that's a really important spirit to chase things with. Well, (laughs) this is a good segue. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You knew it was coming. (laughs) And I'm so excited. I watched late last night. You have so many different parts of you and it's been a real pleasure diving into the kids' books. And I started with Micro Adventures. That was my first one. Diving into the kids' books, all five of them. They're fantastic. And then this is the next one I've read, The Doorstep Mile. 
and having these different conversations and micro adventures and grand adventures, which I also have just phenomenal photography. And then last night was the first night I hopped on your YouTube channel because you had mentioned a couple different videos in this doorstep mile book and I wanted to check them out. And your videography is phenomenal. And this documentary style, and it's funny, and it's all spliced together. In fact, I can't wait to show my kids. I was looking at it kind of late last night, and we are going to watch this video today. I can't wait to show them. It's so funny. My midsummer morning. So (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic. And you had this one minute promo clip. I was very entertained. So can you play the violin for us and tell us the story behind it? Do you want the violin first or the story? Your choice. I think the first. Start, I Maybe start with the violin. I don't know. I don't know if you should culminate with it. Maybe culminate yeah. with it. I, I think I should finish with it. Uh, <laughs> Great. Uh, because, because everyone will have turned off your podcast by then. So. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I've been, I spent years doing big adventures and I got to the point where I was making a career. I'd become a professional adventurer. Mm-hmm. I was earning money from doing talks and books and I was loving it. It was brilliant. You're National Geographic Adventurer of the Year. What a title. Yeah, I, I was I was having the time of my life. That's like the pinnacle. How can you get higher than that? It's amazing. Um yeah, so I was so pleased to be doing this sort of stuff. But I, I, I like to try to, as I said earlier, I like when things are going well to question them a bit. And something I realized was the reasons I started wanting to go on adventures, going to new places, seeing different cultures, that sort of stuff. But a lot of it was internal. I wanted to dare myself to try and take risks and dare myself to be brave and dare myself to try things that I might not succeed at. I was trying to, it's sort of personal development, daring mm-hmm. myself in various ways. But what I realized was that by doing these expeditions for years, I got pretty good at them. So I kind of knew, oh, if I want to cycle from here to China tomorrow, I know I could do that. So I could get on a bike with a passport and a tent. I could do it. So is that an adventure or is that just me being in my comfort zone and actually being a little bit lazy and cowardly? Um, Mm. Is that really still adventure for me? So I started asking myself, what does adventure mean to me at this stage in my life? And I realized that the answer was very different to what it had been when I was a 24-year-old young man trying to prove myself to how tough I was to the world. It was very different now. So I was thinking about different ideas of adventure. Now, I I love uh, reading books. And my favorite travel book uh, was a book called As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning. It's not a famous book at all, but it's about Mm -hmm. by a young English guy in the 19th 30s who walks through Spain just before the Spanish Civil War and he plays his violin as he walks in villages and he gets money in bars and I love this book it's such a great book he he writes very beautifully but he plays his violin he's really good people throw money at him he buys loads of wine girls think he's amazing I'm like this this is just the greatest adventure ever so I'd always wanted to do it but I can't play the violin or any other musical instrument and I've always been so shy about anything like that like singing in public karaoke terrifies me I hate it dancing weddings nightclubs oh I hate anything like that and so I suddenly realized that this was what I needed to do to get the fear and the uncertainty and the risk back in my life. I needed to Mm -hmm. dare myself to begin a new direction and to learn the violin. So my plan was to walk for a month through Spain following Laurie Lee's route, but with no money, no wallet, no credit card at all. So no backup, no safety net, only the violin. And if I wanted money, then I had to play the violin to earn it in the street. Now, the violin is really hard to learn, I discovered, and I was absolutely (laughs) useless at it. So I love the 
clip where you're with that teacher and you say, I'm planning to leave in six months. Is that enough time? <laughs> yeah. My poor teacher, she just thought, what are you doing? So I thought six months, I'll be not too bad, but it'll still be really scary to play in public because I've never done that. In reality, six months, I was terrible. So And and to play in public when you're terrible is really embarrassing. But I decided to... <laughs> <laughs> the video is so funny. I cannot wait to show my kids. You did such a great job of you. This is what I talk about too with the videography. You had all these different angles. So you had an angle... <laughs> You had an angle of these people just walking by and sort of giving these odd looks. And then you have the video at the end of the violin looking back up at you. And then it switched to this video where you were looking down at the violin and you had, <laughs> there was stickers. <laughs> yeah, the little kiddie stickers. Does you tell you where to put your fingers? Yeah. <laughs> I love that shot. <laughs> Yeah. So you you've heard the video. So I so I was so bad. So imagine the the first day I got to Spain, I obviously needed money to fly out there. I had money to I stayed in a Airbnb the first night, and then the next morning I emptied the last money out of my pocket and I just left it on a park bench and I walked off into Spain with no money and no credit card, nothing in a foreign country. No one knew my name, and I had to go down to the town square, open up the violin case because I wanted to get some food. So I had to open up the violin case and start playing and I'd never done this in public I'd never practiced in public in the UK because I'd wanted this to be new and maximum terror so I started playing like <laughs> and oh it, and I was the most afraid I have felt since the day I set off to row in a small boat across the Atlantic with storms and sharks and stuff mm -hmm. and I thought that was so interesting that I was equally as afraid what was I afraid of there? It was much, it's a personal vulnerability. I was afraid of looking like a fool. I was afraid of people laughing at me. I was afraid of being silly. I was afraid of failing. I'm a grown man in my thirties. This was ridiculous, but I was so scared. And that trip really broadened my horizons of what adventure means. And in many ways, that was the, one of the most adventurous things I've ever done in my life. And wow. it turned into a magical experience. I did, I earned a couple of coins, which turned me from being into a professional musician. I mean, what I, mean I love thrill. that part. It's actually like almost brings tears to your eyes. You said something like this is, well, you said to the person, this is my fir the first money I have ever made in my life from playing music. What a thing. That's incredible. An old gentleman came up to me and I thought he was going to shout at me for ruining his siesta in the quiet park. And he gave me a coin. What a kind. So this is a wonderful thing. Also, the kindness of strangers. I mean, I was literally just trusting that the good people of Spain would throw me a few coins. No one was giving money because I was good. I was terrible. People were giving money just because people are good and kind. And there was mm. some sort of human connection with this stranger from a foreign country in their town. And so it was yeah. magical. When someone gave me a coin, I felt such a treasured, special thing. But I earned enough money to buy basic food. And I walked 500 miles and I beautiful hiking through beautiful Spanish mountains. I camped on hilltops. I cooked my rice on open fires. I washed in rivers. It was a magical adventure. But the adventure wasn't that hiking and camping stuff that I've been doing for 20 years. The adventure was thinking, I'm really hungry. I've got no money. I need to get out my violin and play until someone gives me enough money to go and buy a banana. So yeah, it was one of the most frightening and adventurous wow. and 
wonderful things I've ever done. I mean, I think it's a video for everyone to watch to just embrace failure in some sense or to change. You talk in the book about changing the definition of success. What does mm. success really mean? And you have this sentence where you say, imagine a society that applauded endeavor. Consider if we save the mocking for those who never began. So I thought this is really powerful for adults and for children. Yes, yeah, important just to try. So one of the problems when I always explain my Spain trip is people think, oh, he's just being, when he says he's not good at the violin, he's just being humble. He's being modest. He's so British. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say to people, no, no, honestly, I really suck. So I, I'll play for you a few notes now. And to bear in mind that I was in a foreign country with no money at all. And if I wanted to eat for a month, I had to play my violin. Right. Here we go. Hang on. Ah, oh, let's forget this bit. I can't remember the, the, I can't get that transition-y bit, but I think you get the point. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible, and it changed your life. Oh. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. 
it completely changed for me my definition of what adventure meant but it for me that was really helpful in my own life because I was yeah. worrying that as I was growing from being a young adventure guy into a middle-aged parent with responsibilities and ties that I couldn't live up to my former definitions of adventurousness and I was mm. I was really struggling on a personal level with that and this right. freed me up a bit to just think well just go for it try your best if you fail what what is failing anyway that is the thing what is failing anyway you said you walked 500 miles through Spain and had all of these experiences and you had this one that changed your life because it gave you more boldness and probably less fear of what other people think and those things go with you for the rest of your life and that's such an amazing point of this concept of failing and success. And you have a lot about it in this book. So if people are interested in reading more and just being encouraged, The Doorstep Mile is a fantastic book for that. You have this phrase in there, mojo plus one. And you're talking about when is the right time to adventure? Your point is people always say it's like time, money, health, and you never, it's like you never really have all three at the same time. And you have this phrase, mojo plus one. Can you tell us what you mean by that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so ide ideally, if you want to do some big adventurous change in your life, ideally, you'll have loads of money, loads of time. You'll be really healthy. Everything will be really organized in your life. Everything will be just perfect. Unfortunately, I'm yet to meet anyone who has got all of those criteria in their life. Roughly speaking, people either have lots of time in their life or they have lots of money in their life or they have neither of those things but they may be organized or mm -hmm. they're, they're in good health yeah exactly it's kind of like health. when you're young you have no money you have very little time i remember well, we have good friends and their kids are just a couple years older than ours and they're they're heading into their adult years and they don't have hardly any time off because they're in these jobs that they're brand new at and you get a little bit of vacation a year hardly anything and they can't come on the trips anymore because they can't get the time off of work and i remember that when you're more bound in by career because you're just starting out so they have their health they have their energy but they don't have the time. They probably don't have the money. And then as you get older, we're in this stage now, maybe we would have the money, but now we have five kids and they're in activities and you're expected to be at the activities. And we're really bounded in by these societal constraints that we have put into our lives. No one forced them, but it's sort of kind of like what you do. And then you just kind of see that it just gets busier and busier. You, you have expectations as a grandparent and all of these different things. I like this thing of mojo plus one. It's like, don't wait for all three, just wait for one or maybe two. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, no one's got everything lined up perfectly all at once. Or right. maybe those people do, but they're already living on the beach in Hawaii. But generally, for the rest of us, we don't have everything lined up. But so all you, what you've got to do is wait till you've got the mojo, like the will, the desire, the enthusiasm, the appetite. Yeah, this is what I really want to do. And if you've got that, plus either time or money or health, then you're in a position to do something. Maybe not everything but you can do something you can make some sort of adventurous change so as long as you got the mojo and as long as you got one of those other things going for you then go for it i love it it's mojo plus one okay that yes that's what it is you only need one you don't even need two and that's how the story begins it begins with you as a teacher who wouldn't have had time who wouldn't have had much money but you were young and healthy and you had your mojo 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah. here you are. And, in, and, and the so the plus one that I had then was being young. I didn't really have many commitments in my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. So therefore, I had mojo plus the freedom of that. So I didn't have enough money to cycle around the world. So but I just did it anyway. And then I just lived off banana sandwiches and slept in my tent. And hey, presto, I did have enough money. I didn't think I did at the start. But if I just wow. saved and saved until I had the right amount of money, whatever that is, then I never have got around to leaving because I'd have always thought mm-hmm. oh maybe I need just two thousand more dollars two thousand more dollars and then who knows I'd have got married had kids had a mortgage and I'd have missed that opportunity so right. I seized it then and I I'd made the best of the money that I had and off mm-hmm. I went now in life I've got enough money but I don't have as much time as that so I have to right. do shorter adventures so yeah as long as you've got the mo- the enthusiasm for it plus a little bit of something else then you can find something it's much wow. better to look for the opportunities you have rather than getting beaten down by the barriers and the constraints and the obstacles because everyone's got stuff that's stopping them living the so-called perfect life but Mm -hmm. just got to make the best of what we have and begin it right now right and this book is less about going out on a bike trip around the world and more about the everyday the margins of your day is it possible to live adventurously in real life and this is your concept of micro adventures that is changing people's lives around the world and even in the book people had written in yes and there was yeah. real life commentary from all sorts of people. And someone had said in there, microadventures changed my life. And I know a lot of people have said this. I mean, this book is really about our epidemic of busyness. And you say, how can we separate what's urgent from what's important and add adventure to our everyday? Will you talk about the five to nine, which I actually for a long time was thinking that meant five to nine in the evening. And then someone said to me, no, no, you've got it wrong. He's talking about five until nine the next morning. And then in this book, it was a 16 hours because you'll go sleep outside, bathe in the river. <laughs> well, in theory. So again, I know people are busy. I know people work long hours, etc, etc. I know all of this. So please don't shout at me now. But roughly speaking, most right. of us are have our nine to five life, roughly speaking, our working life. And then in theory, from then until we go back to work the next morning, in theory, we can kind of do what we want. I know there are commitments, but in theory. So I, I think what's really useful is to just imagine the possibilities there don't I mean it's very easy to look at the obstacles I imagine there are some people shouting at me in their headphones right now I've got to do blah 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 of course you do you're busy but what opportunity potentially can you do? And I like your idea, actually, of the five to nine, five in the evening till nine in the evening. I like that. That's actually a more realistic five to nine. What, what little well, things can you do fun. in the evening? E- either yeah, is fun. Exactly. I mean, can you go stay at someone else's house for an overnight, you know, that lives an hour away maybe and do with, I mean, there's so many, either way, it's about using that time well. And you had a statement in there about if all I'm doing is getting Chinese takeout and watching Netflix, what am I really doing with my life? And am I really spending it in a way that, I mean, what a gift to have this life. That's kind of how you word it. It's just such a gift. And basically, am I squandering it? You say it much more eloquently than I'm saying it, but I loved that part of it. And it's a challenge to look at the time that we do have. And you have this quip in there, this, um, well, by Cicero, it's like, are we seeming to be or are we really doing it? And I thought that was a really challenging little phrase, too, about what can we do and are we actually striving to do these things? Yeah, I think it's easy to pretend that we want to do 
we want to be adventurous and we, and it's quite a fun, it's quite nice to tell your friends yeah i'm going to be really adventurous with my kids or to tell the other parents at the school gates oh yeah i'm going to be the most adventurous dad in town we'll do this stuff and but then it then it's also easy to not actually do that stuff and it's easy to make up excuses like i would love to be adventurous but I've got my kitchen needs cleaning and I've really got to do that. So the thing about to be rather than to appear is I find that it's it's one of the sort of things I use for holding myself to account of, am I really being adventurous or am I just pretending mm. to be? And am I actually, mm. am I making the most of my opportunities or am I actually hiding behind my excuses? And wow. even if that kitchen really does need to be clean, maybe I can at least take the kids and go and have dinner in the woods tonight and then we'll come home and do homework. So there's always some opportunities in amongst all of the barriers that everyone has in their busy lives. There's, there has to be some opportunity to get a bit of nature in there somehow. I mean, this book is so inspiring to really go and do it. And that's how you end it. You say, and I even thought about this, you say right toward the end, you might say, oh, well, okay, yeah, this sounds good. But today I'm busy. And the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the week isn't looking so hot either. And you had this thought about how do we value our future time, which I thought was really thought provoking. Like when we say yes to things, are we really valuing the time that's to come? And you said, how would I feel about this if this was tomorrow? Sometimes we commit and and then we get there and now the calendar is already filled. I thought that was a really good thing to think about. Yeah, it's quite weird, isn't it? That in order to do a lot in your life, you first of all have to say no to a lot of things. And I find learning to say no to things that are quite appealing or just when people ask you for favours and things, sometimes it's good to be nice, of course, but sometimes you've got to say no. And that then frees up some time so you can do what's important with the people who are most important right. to you. The way that I do that, because I'm terrible, people say, hey, well, Al, will you do this for me? I, I always go, yeah, of course I will, because it's I kind of want to help people. Also, I, it's kind of not, not awkward and embarrassing to say no to people. <laughs> so what I do now, though, is if they're saying, hey, in six months time, will you help me do this thing? I now imagine to myself, OK, if I was waking up tomorrow morning and I have to go and do this thing, would I be excited by that? or not and if I'm like oh no I've got to go do that thing then what I do now is I just make myself take that 10 second embarrassment and say uh no sorry I can't yeah. help you with that thing this time boom and suddenly that day six months down the line is free and I might be able to do something much more useful and meaningful with that time mm -hmm. so daring yourself to say no you even have the word right in the book. You have, here's some templates of how that you can say it. And I thought it's just something to be aware of, valuing your future time so that you have opportunities. And then you said saying yes helps you deal with pessimism. So it's about saying yes in the right context. We're running toward the end here. I'm so thrilled to be starting the new year off with this conversation. You even have a phrase in this book, does this year matter? then use it. It's right in the book. So this is a fantastic book for heading into the new year. The Doorstep Mile, Live More Adventurously Every Day. And then within this book, you talk about six of your favorite books that you talked about at a place where you went and spoke. And also you mentioned this one in there, The Five Regrets of the Dying, which I snagged and read. And it's a fabulous one. An interesting, really interesting memoir by Bronnie Ware. And so The Doorstep Mile will get you out the door. And then also... I think is a jumping off point for a lot of other mentally engaging and exciting things as well. It's not even just about the adventure. It's also about the concepts and the things that you can talk about. So the doorstep mile is fantastic. Can we, I, when I went on your YouTube last night, the most recent video is fantastic video. The most recent video on the YouTube is this. 
my, my name is Alistair. I am an author and I have terrible sales figures. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went on to give a 60 second book pitch, which this is the thing. I think I actually, I, I talk, I, this is my life too. I talked to this woman this, earlier this week who is a business grower. I'm not quite sure. Someone recommended and they said, oh, you should talk to this, this person and she's helped grow my business. And so, okay, I'll have the conversation. And she said, she said to me, <laughs> She said, I am actually offended at how little money you are making. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. She said, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Like, I I don't even really know how to take that. Um, We're just doing, we have no idea what we're doing. And we have this small family business here. And I don't know. And there's all these tricks and tips and you have to say, subscribe. And and I'm like, well, people are adults. Can't they just subscribe on their own? Can't they come and like the video and just know they want to subscribe? Why do I have to say it for every podcast? And you have to say, and it's, it's, the whole thing feels somewhat like a game, but I thought it was an interesting statement. I'll probably remember that for the rest of my life. And it kind of goes along the lines of what does success mean? Does that mean I'm failing? Is am I is it successful because we're just kind of fine and we're moving forward? I don't know. But then I saw your video and it was kind of the same thing. <laughs> you say, I, I have terrible sales figures this year. <laughs> and then you gave a 60 second book pitch. So can you give us your 60 second book pitch? Because I adore your books. Well, that's very kind of you. But I should point out that this book, which you've been so kind of today, The Doorstep Mile, has on one of my favourite Amazon reviews of mine, which is one star, someone saying this is the worst book in the whole world ever. So your customers should maybe check out my bad reviews. So what I've what I, what I started... <laughs> someone when, did not. Someone it, put that. So what, what, what you need to be doing, Ginny, because you do need to be asking your podcast audience to leave reviews because that will help you get more listens. Uh, for books, you need to be saying, hey, guys, please review my books. If you like them, please review them. It's really important. But then as an author, if you want people to give you five star reviews you also have to accept that the one stars are going to come and when they come they cut you and they hurt and they're horrible like when you're playing your violin it's painful and horrible so and i hate them they're you know i can Mm. quote you my one star reviews so therefore the secret then is to turn the weakness into a superpower so what i've started to do now is whenever i get a one star review online is i read them out on social media now so uh under the hashtag not very glowing book reviews on instagram and i've come now to love these so now when i get a one-star review i read them out like this is the worst book i've ever read it totally sucks and alistair humphreys is a jerk so now i read these out and what's what's so weird is that then by taking these so-called failings and embracing them i now love getting one-star reviews because they just make me laugh now and i can read them out and i read these out and i tell you more people buy my books when i say read out the one-star reviews than i do the five stars so yeah find your weaknesses embrace them embrace your vulnerabilities and they become strengths so and you know someone said the critics are always the ones in the stands the critics are the ones in the stands and so if you're going to get out there and do something you risk the one-star reviews but that doesn't necessarily mean you're failing and i love how you turn it around but the books i really quick though can you actually do a 60 second because you went through all the books 
I want okay. people to know what books you have. Go. Okay. My 60 second for this relevant audience is if you're looking for ideas of adventure things for you to do with your families, then micro adventures would be good for that. Uh, if you'd like your kids to learn about different countries and cultures, then The Boy Who Bite the World. Uh, the Girl Who Rode the Ocean hopefully will encourage girls to live adventurously and also encourage us all to care about the environment. And then The Doorstep Mile is about encouraging you to get out the front door and begin. And the one Ginny that you need to read to make you start asking for reviews and getting your people to sign up for your newsletters is uh, Ask an Adventurer because I'm horrified and disgusted at how little money you are earning for such a wonderful <laughs> thing. And you need to start selling this. You're doing a brilliant thing and people need to be paying you for your time and your community so yeah ask an adventurer is what you need to read i have that one i haven't read it yet and i have okay. grand adventures there's others though great adventures i really want to focus on the kids books because what they're doing is they're plant you're planting the seed early about these concepts that you have to go after life and so for your children these books are phenomenal my community of moms is always talking about them and then moms across the country across the world i'm seeing they're using your books as a catalyst to have these conversations with their kids and to throw these really cool parties and to have alistair humphreys day or the boy who biked the world day or the girl who rode the ocean and then you have great adventurers which is one of those cool like kid coffee table books that you always go back to with all the different graphics and each page is there's so much to learn because it's history and biography about all these different adventurers that have inspired you it's really cool really well illustrated great adventurers so there's five books that someone could add to their family for kids and then there's a couple other ones well, I think, yeah, that I mean, great. So The Boy About the World, I mentioned, is the travel and learning about different cultures. The Girl Who Rode the Ocean is me using my time as a teacher to secretly try and teach as much as possible about growth mindset without it being boring. And then, yeah, Great Adventurers is my own adventure here as an illustrated uh, kids book. I know you said that the struggles on Amazon isn't in the US trying to buy them. So what people have to do is scroll down further down the page than you think. And the books are actually available, but further down than you think on the page you have to do an adventure in scrolling um, <laughs> and i'm actually i'm <laughs> hopefully by next summer great adventurers 2 is coming out which is against the odds that is adventurers who failed stuff that went wrong and the good stuff that comes from failing in adventures so yeah that should be out next what? summer. i didn't know about that one well i'm just finishing writing it now but it's due yeah due out next summer oh it's a counterpart to great adventurers yeah, it's a big illustrated color kids book of people whose adventures go wrong. Because when we try doing adventure stuff in life, it goes wrong. And that's okay. And we learn from it. And we have, and good stuff comes from the times when things wow. go wrong. Wow, so, like Shackleton. Yeah, that's my next Oh, one. I'm so curious who's going to be uh -huh. in there. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So if people are wanting to follow along because they don't want to miss out. And social media is a funny thing. You don't see everything. And so best is to sign up for the newsletter. So tell people where they can find you. Yeah, um, alistairhumphreys.com slash newsletter is a uh, you can get my newsletter which tells me what I'm up to you can get the doorstep mile actually it's a serialized newsletter that's how that book began life and then Ginny a good one for you is the ask an adventurer newsletter which is mm -hmm. about earning a living out of being a creative self-employed person and learning that at the end of all your podcasts you have to say please go and give me a good five-star review on Apple podcast which I hope is how you're going to finish this one today <laughs> 
Yes. But then you're also at Al underscore Humphreys and you have a YouTube channel and there's so much there. And it's really a, a great, you you hit the kids and the adults in such a phenomenal way. So kind of join together. And I know we're out of time. So please subscribe and leave a five star review. <laughs> <laughs> or or if you think it sucks leave a one star review and Ginny will read that out next week <laughs> oh thank you so much does this year matter then use it this has been awesome Alistair I cannot wait until we talk again thank you and happy new year everyone real truth alert Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.